God is so good. Amen. Uh, Brother Dan, thank you for the announcements this morning, and your prayer is very uh, appropriate. I would like to thank all of you for being here this morning, and uh, also thank all of those who are joining us online. It's a very thankful morning, and it is Thanksgiving after all, right? So that's a very appropriate. <clears throat> and yet many of us uh, will walk away from this morning, uh, if that's the case, and uh, we won't remember what we've really talked about. Many of us will walk away from conversations like that, uh, where we're very polite to each other, and we'll never reflect on God's glory. We say thank you very often. It's, it's a, a part of how we speak with one another. But I dare say that um, it's lost its significance oftentimes. And should it? Should we be okay with that? With using that word very quickly, very often, and it just seems to be lost out there. We shouldn't. I think there's a very important um, truth to thanksgiving that we need to embrace and that we need to make part of our lives. I'd like to look at an example in the word of thanksgiving uh, and what it really ought to look like according to the scripture. Now, many of you know that uh, we're going through the, or that I've been preaching through the Egyptian halal starting at um, Psalm 113. And when the brothers first uh, asked me to be, it's not part of the schedule as far as my time. I was supposed to preach next Sunday morning, but they looked back on the schedule and Brother Dan says, it's your turn to preach Thanksgiving. And so at first I thought about it and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have to set the Egyptian halal aside and I'm going to go into uh, something more uh, Thanksgiving themed until I looked at the beginning of the Egyptian halal. And so let's turn to Psalm 118, because the Lord is good, and perhaps, no, I, I don't say perhaps, I know that the Lord knew that this moment would come, and that this psalm would be the one that we are looking at. So let's look at Psalm 118. Psalm 118 reads, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore I shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed come me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me, that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. 
The Lord is my strength and song and is become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. May God bless the reading of the word. Oh, give thanks, it says. When we think of that word thanks, what comes into our mind? We, we oftentimes, uh, at these sort of times in our lives, are asked to reflect on giving thanks. But what does the scripture say? When the psalmist penned these words, what was he thinking? He was thinking, yada. What does that mean? That means nothing to us except that that's the uh, Hebrew word for to give thanks or to laud, to praise, to confess to confess the name of God. That's the, the meaning of the word thanks as written here. And to give thanks, to praise, to celebrate. Uh, since thanksgiving and praise naturally flow, follow the acknowledgement or confession of benefits received. Uh, and then they're usually followed by count. So thanks is more than just thank you. I really appreciate that. Thanks is praising God. It's lifting up God. It's confessing who God is. It's... Um, re- it's uh, followed by accounts of what God has done. Or, in a case like this morning, I said thank you to Brother Dan. I said thank you to all of you. How would I more appropriately have given real, true, authentic thanks? I would have perhaps said something like this, and this is genuine, this is not made up. But thank you, Brother Dan, for uh, the announcements and your prayer. I appreciate you as a brother. I appreciate you as in your role in this church and the, the, the diligence that you have, not only in the big things of life, but also in the care for our church and the, the personal care for our church. Isn't that more appropriate as a thanks? Or to you, I, I said thank you for coming. But maybe perhaps more authentically, I should have said thank you for taking the time to, to uh, set aside the cares of this world, to uh, put aside the worries of the, of the day and, and the, the strains on our times and, and to come and, and find it valuable enough that you want to be here in the house of the Lord and, and to sit with us as uh, brethren and to fellowship with one another. I, I'm so thankful that you have done that. And for those of you who are online, I'm so thankful that you have joined us because 
especially being online, nobody knows if you're here or not. You could be sitting in your pajamas in the cottage, and yet you found it uh, important enough to come and join us. And, and I'm so grateful that you have, because that is so important for us as a body of believers, that we are all feeding on the word, that we are together, maybe not physically, but that we are together, and that we are fellowshipping with one another, that we, in the spirit, can be unified and together. Isn't that a little bit more appropriate when I say instead of just thanks for coming? Thanks is an expression of gratitude, an acknowledgement made to express a sense of favor or kindness received. It's so much more than just a polite gesture. Philippians chapter 4 verses, verse 6 says this, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So I want to look at that word, thanksgiving, as in the New Testament, because it's this word, euharestia. Um, um, this means the giving of thanks. So that's thanksgiving, right? Uh, euharestia. So what does it mean to be thankful? The scripture, the, the Greek word is euharestos, which means mindful of favors, grateful or thankful. And if you split that word up, and, and this is important, so stick with me here. If you split up that word, eucharistos, and, and it's divided into two words. First of all, you, which means to be well off, to fare well, or to prosper. So it's, it's recognizing a state of being well off, um, prosperous, um, to have fared well. It takes that word, and then it puts it with another one. To take um, that word, and then put it with harestomahi, um, which means to do something pleasant or agreeable, to do a favor, to show oneself gracious, kind, or benevolent, to grant forgiveness, to pardon, to give graciously, to give freely, to bestow, or to forgive. Being thankful is taking those two realities and responding to those two realities. Being mindful is looking at our lives and saying, I am well off. Is looking at our lives and recognizing the blessings that we have. The blessings that God has given us. And recognizing just that, that it is God who has given us those blessings. That's what true thankfulness is, is when we take the, the current circumstances that we are in and we, we recognize that what we are going through, who we are, is a direct result of what God has done, the character of God, the said love of God. Uh, it's to do something, uh, to show oneself gracious, kind, benevolent. God being gracious, kind, benevolent to us, um, to grant forgiveness. He's pardoned us. Uh, to give graciously. Uh, he's bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ uh, forgiveness and righteousness. It's gratefulness or thankfulness is to take those two recognitions that I am doing well or that I have been blessed, that I, my, my state in life is uh, prosperous and to recognize who it has come from. That's what thankfulness is. That mindfulness of the current status of our lives in a sense. 
So it says in the first four verses, and this scripture, this uh, um, 118th Psalm, is just that. The psalmist is, is taking that, that definition, and he's uh, explaining it here. Or he's, he's the psalm, that's the, the, the example that we have here. So let's begin at verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. So he's recognizing here the mercy of God and the, uh, the foreverness, the enduring forever, um, if for eternity. It is constant. It is not something that is here today, gone tomorrow. But it is a constant. And he then establishes and he makes that case. But first, in verse 2. He says, let Israel, this call now to worship, let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, so this is to the priests, that his mercy endureth forever. And let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. And so there's a call to all people who fear the Lord to celebrate the um, chesed love of God. This is a call to worship. This is a, a call for thankfulness. So now, the next few chapter, verses, uh, verse uh, 5 to 18, this is the psalmist recounts the deliverance. So this is from this idea of uh, the blessing of God. He's, he's now just more, mere than, merely more than just saying, uh, I called upon the Lord in distress. So verse 5, the Lord answered me. He could have just left it there. He could have just said, I called upon the Lord. Praise God, the Lord answered me. But he didn't. Because from this, there has to be this, this confession, this praising God, this glorifying God. It's more than just that God delivered me, but let's, let's explore that a little bit. The psalmist is saying, I want to give you details about it so that you can appreciate. When I say that the Lord delivered me, I want you to be able to appreciate exactly what he did. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. There's a confidence in the psalmist here. That says, and now, I'll just backtrack a moment here. We don't have a lot of context of, of what exactly has transpired in this psalm. Um, it's most likely based on where it is in the, the, the entire book of Psalms. Um, it's probably post-exilic, meaning it was after the uh, exile to Babylon, and now they have been restored again. Um, and perhaps, and we, we can see clearly that there was some um, national distress, the nations around, um, and we have many scriptures that speak of the, uh, the children of Israel being faced by many nations who were very hostile to them. But from that, the psalmist has this assurance of God's favor, this confidence. And, and Charles um, uh, Spurgeon, he, he writing about this uh, psalm, speaks of how it's almost like he's throwing down the gauntlet and saying, I dare you, come after me. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, when we think back about the goodness of God, do you think back, does that give you that confidence, like the psalmist, that he can almost uh, challenge the, the people, come, I dare you. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Now, historically, we see that 
This choice was given to the kings of the Old Testament, the people of uh, Israel and Judah, and oftentimes they made the wrong choice. When, when they were faced with uh, daunting odds, they would go to another king and say, let's join together and fight this enemy. And it was never impressive. Maybe sometimes they got the victory, sometimes they didn't, but... It, the things that are really uh, uh, stand out to me are the times when the people said, I will not put my confidence in princes or in other men. I will only put my confidence in God. And then we see those examples in the scripture where God, in such a powerful way, reaches into the uh, time and space and, and, and he changes the course of history. Oh, it's incredible to read the stories of Hezekiah and these kings who, faced with these things, put their trust in God. And it's so important that they are, are, are recounting these things and, and giving account of how God has delivered them. Verse 10 says, All nations compassed about me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. So here we, we see the national turmoil that they would have been going through, but the psalmist responds to those. So all nations were around me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They, they compassed about me, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees, it says, so they swarmed about, but they are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. What confidence he has that God, even though the circumstances look so terrible, that he, uh, he is confident that God is on his side and that he will destroy them. His trust is in the Lord. Thou hast trust sore, thou hast thrust sore at me. So now speaking of the nations, that I might fall. They almost knocked me over, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and is become my salvation. Now, we probably don't recognize where this verse comes from, but this is from the, uh, the verses, uh, the song, right after the children of, uh, of Israel exited the Red Sea. And they have this song of praise um, for, the, uh, for the Lord. And, and this is a, a direct quote from Exodus 15, verse 2. And so you start to see there's a, a narrative going on in here that it's not just a psalmist who says, oh, the Lord has blessed me and he has fought for me, but he's remembering from before. And here he quotes Exodus 15, verse 2, and he says, just like that time, the Lord is my strength and song and is become my salvation. Verse 15 says, The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. Again, this is imagery that we see from Exodus 15. The same uh, words that the, the children of Israel, right after they experienced the, uh, the incredible deliverance of God, through the Red Sea, they were um, echoing. The psalmist is, probably had this, uh, this uh, song from Exodus in mind as he's writing this. And he's reaffirming these truths. It says, I shall not die but live and declare the work of the Lord. So you see here what he is doing. The confidence and the purpose then that he has a trust in God's narrative and this leads to confidence and confession. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over to death. So here we see the psalmist in thanksgiving. Remember, he said, give thanks unto the Lord. That was how he started. And how does he give thanks unto the Lord? He gives thanks unto the Lord by recounting the deliverance of the Lord. 
and, and how the Lord has been on his side and how he, his trust in the Lord was never misplaced, but it was rather uh, always rewarded and, and it, was, it was solid. And from that, he has confidence. And so now if he had just stopped at verse 5 and said, I called upon the Lord in distress, the Lord answered me, would that have been nearly as glorifying to God as it is now than instead to look through and to paint the picture in a sense, to take people on that journey with him and say, look at how terrible it was. This was more than just you know, a, a faint recognition of God's deliverance, but this was a... Um, this, he invites us in, in a sense, into the, the calamity and says, look at what happened. Can you appreciate the, 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 uh, the distress that we were in when the nations were swarming like bees all around us and yet God gave us this confidence? That's what Thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving is praising God, confessing God, is, is recognizing the, the deliverance of God. And where they are now, too, is taking those two things and putting it in the right perspective, which is we are now delivered, we are free, we have been given this hope, and it was all because of what God has done. And that is what gives us thankfulness. That's what makes us um, uh, uh, this feeling in our hearts, in a sense, of recognizing this is who God is, that humility The next portion of scripture is, is starting at verse 19. And here the psalmist and the community offer a grateful praise. Um, again, though, we don't know the context exactly of all that was happening. We could probably you know, tease it out if we got right into the, uh, the Old Testament um, understanding of, of their practices and so on. But I want to, at this point, just briefly... I, I'm, I'm going to diverge here from going uh, through these scriptures, these verses, and, and trying to understand them as the psalmist wrote them, because I see in these scriptures, it's almost like the elephant in the room. This is a messianic psalm, and the, the, the meaning that the psalmist perhaps had in his mind as he's penning these words um, is probably quite, uh, I don't want to say different, but I want to say they have so much meaning to us here now in this common day, in this present day, because of what they point to. We have the, the reality that the people of Israel would have been going through certain things, and, and these things would have been extremely uh, uh, point, important to them. This would have been something that when they uh, enjoy the Passover feast and they recount this psalm, that they would, it would be very meaningful to them. But to you and I, brothers and sisters and, and friends who are on this side of, of the uh, death and resurrection of Christ, this means a whole lot different. This is taking that idea of already but not yet, and it's saying now is the yet. This is the point where we see the, the greater meaning behind these scriptures. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. So Psalm 15 and Psalm 24, they talk about you know, who is worthy or who is able to go up to the house of the Lord. And um, who was able? Who was able to enter into the, uh, to the temple? Who was able to offer sacrifice unto the Lord? Um, and who was righteous? 
Only one who was. You see, the, the, the priest always had to go in, but also offer sacrifice for his own sin. But Christ never had to. Christ, being righteous, went in, and he gave that perfect sacrifice. And, and so now, to us as well, we have that righteousness, and that we also are given that opportunity to be in the abode of God. It says uh, in verse 21, I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now this perhaps was written for David who was rejected originally even in the selection of a king but then ultimately uh, also uh, rejected by uh, Saul. But more so important, Jesus gives us the right perspective of this in Matthew 24. Matthew 21, it says, I'm running out of batteries here, so I better. It says in Matthew 21, Jesus saith unto them, did you, ever, did you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So this is talking about the tenant who was given the vineyard, and then um, they were... Uh, as the prophets were sent, they rejected the prophets. And ultimately, even the Son of God was sent. And they rejected the Son of God. And this is who Jesus is identifying. I am that stone. I am the one that the, uh, the Pharisees and, and the, the children of Israel rejected. I was the one who was sent to them, and they rejected me. And so then, uh, I have become the head of the corner. This same one that you've rejected is now the head of the corner, the cornerstone. And, and there's many reference to him as the corner, and, or the cornerstone. And that was the stone, that, that, that perfect stone that was set that helped to stabilize the walls. And it was upon that rock that Jesus or that the church and, and, and the, the kingdom would be uh, established. And so here he's saying, uh, this is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. So this is a reference now to Christ and his coming into the world, him being the, the cornerstone. And, and this is the work that God has done. This is not a man-made thing. This was not uh, you know, the uh, Pharisees uh, having taken Christ and rejected him and, and, and destroying him and so on and so forth. But this was ordained by God this was something that God had done and it was marvelous in his sight it was his work salvation is of the Lord it says this is the day which the Lord hath made we will rejoice and be glad in it we're the, we're the psalmist looking to another day but you and I we have this I, this this recognition that it was at that point that pivotal point in history that um, has made all the difference in the world and that is the day that we will look to and be glad in it says now, verse 25, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. So this word, save now, is actually translated, Yoshe na. And if we recognize the, uh, the context of, of where we've heard this before, let me put this word in, Hosanna. I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Do you remember when Christ entered into Jerusalem that Passion Week, that last week before his death, on the, I guess it would be Palm Sunday, and that's what they were calling. They were saying, save us, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. 
It says in Matthew 21, And a very great multitude spread their garments in the ways. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So here, by reciting uh, God's word and uh, remembering the the goodness of God, the things that he has done, the, 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 the forgiveness that we have, the blessings that we have had, the people now have a, a desire or, or the, the confidence to, to look forward. And see, this is really what thankfulness should be doing in us. Thankfulness should be moving us to uh, recognize who God is, to recognize what he has done, and to now give us that confidence and that hope going forward. So that when the time comes, and I don't know what the stress they were in, but they said, save us, O Lord. And how many of us are calling out to God? How many of us have that hope that even in times when they're really, really difficult, we still say, Hosanna, save us. We, we look to God and say, save us, O Lord, because we have that confidence. Because we have that confidence because we are recounting. We are recounting the things that God has done. We are remembering Exodus chapter 15 and the words of praise and the recounting of God's goodness. We are remembering Psalm 118 when it, and, and how God has given deliverance. Is that the reality in our lives? Is that what the fruit of our thankfulness is? Is that it gives us that hope that we would be able to say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know where that hope comes from. We know that that hope comes from because of the gospel, because of Christ who offered himself as the payment for our sin and gave us the victory, the freedom from the bondage of sin. God is the Lord which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, The people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And that was referring back to Isaiah. It says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow, upon them hath the light shined. I've been singing Handel's Messiah all morning. Annoying Brenda, I'm sure. But I love that scripture. But this is in Psalm 18, 118. It's looking forward to what Isaiah also knew would be the, uh, the advent or the coming of Christ who would bring that light and shining on the darkness. Verse 28. Thou art my God and I will praise thee. Thou art my God. I will exalt thee. This is the, the, the second or like this is the, the conclusion that the psalmist has in all of this is thou art my God. This remembrance, this being mindful of where I'm at and why I am here. And it is that uh, the, his response is, I will praise thee. Yada is, you know, talks about praising God. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Is that what our thanksgiving is? Or, or will we come to dinner tomorrow, perhaps, or dinner this afternoon, and, and uh, when, you know, the first person, and I always find this humorous, the first person who says, oh, uh, thank you, so-and-so, it was a really good meal. And then you have pretty much everybody around the table goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that was really good, really good, yeah, yeah. Is that really genuine Thanksgiving? Uh, sure, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to besmirch people's uh, uh, expression of thanks, But isn't it more significant when, when we uh, praise the person and when we uh, exalt them and when we make known and, and, and give a reason for it? Why? Why is it important? 
But in all of this, we have, and this is um, uh, this narrative that God has given us um, all through the scripture, is that that mercy, that love that he has for us endures forever. It is constant. And, and, and God made a covenant with the people of Israel. I will be your God and you will be my people. And, and all through scripture, starting uh, right from the beginning, but here we see it specifically in Exodus chapter 15, when that was such an important time for the people of Israel, that God uh, made them a nation at that time. And, and that is so important to them. And, and so then there is... Um, the song of the believers, I've heard it said, is a golden chain down the ages. So we have that. We have all of the accounts in the scripture of the, um, the goodness of God, the hesed of God that lasts forever. Here in Psalm 118, we have it again. And yet um, the psalmist T.H. Uh, Hill said, We raise it high, this golden chain. We send it on, the song that never endeth. Men and women, we are the ones who are continuing the next link in this chain of praising God. We are the ones who need to be lifting up voices in thanksgiving and worship and praise of God and recognizing uh, who we are, where we are, and why we are here and who it is that has brought us here. Who it is that has given us salvation. Who it is that has forgiven us. Who it is that has bestowed upon us righteousness so that we can be in the abode of God, as it says here. It says the final verse, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. So I just have some questions here. Um, why is it important for us to give thanks? Is it important for us to live in reality? Is it important for us to live in this narrative, in the big picture, I want to say, rather than the microcosm of our lives? Oh, it's extremely important. Because if we live only in this little world of ours, whether it's our family, whether it's just this church, whether it's just this community, whether it's just this country. If we only live in that small narrative, then we're going to live in not reality. We're going to be missing out. We're going to be breaking that chain, in a sense, of, 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 of worshiping God and praising God and, and giving hope to generations. What if it's really bad right now? See, this is the thing that, as much as we perhaps want to be in the future thinking about or in the in the bigger picture life is so front and center and we may be having uh, uh, broken relationships we may be go we're going through a pandemic how about the martyrs think about the martyrs in, in 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 this world not only the martyrs in scripture but the martyrs even now more and more martyrs currently in this present age than have ever been before you could look at them and say well, what were they thankful for? Because life was really, really terrible at that time. Why was it that the martyrs were singing as the fires were burning? Why was it that the martyrs, or why is it that the martyrs are singing as the steamroller is crushing their appendages? Because they knew the bigger story. They knew the said of God that was everlasting. And they were part of that bigger picture. And they gave glory to God because they knew that this is not the reality that I live in. Sure, you can tear my body apart. You know, what can men do to me, the psalmist asked. And they asked the same question. What can you do to me? You can take me and destroy me in any way that you think of, but you will never destroy me. My God will deliver me. 
And they knew that the stone that the builders had rejected, that even now the stone that the builders reject through communism and through legalism and humanism and all these other things, that that is the stone that God has uh, built his church upon. And that is the, the narrative that we have all through scripture that speaks of the goodness of God, the hesed love of God the, that is everlasting. But this is under attack, brothers and sisters. This narrative is under attack. Um, it's designed to... Uh, well, let's just read it. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. It encapsulates the attack so well. Speaking of those who have rejected God, who are outside, it says that they have changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The world, the community, the culture, the opposing uh, uh, narrative of life, they are trying to change the truth of God. So you know how uh, we have the truth of, of, that should inspire thankfulness is who we are the blessings we have, that we are well off, that we have been saved, redeemed from death, that we have a glorious future to look forward to, and that we live in the hand of God and we can abide in Christ, that truth is under attack. And they want to change your perspective. Life is terrible. Oh, woe is me. I'm suffering so much. And if we look only at the particulars of life, we could really fall into that. Where we could say, oh, if only I had what that person had, if only, or, oh, woe is me. And, and, you know, times are difficult in people's lives. There's people here among us who are struggling with health, and I don't want to for a minute diminish that. But God, his love endures forever, and it's constant. And that is the greater truth. And the perspective in this microcosm that we live in is not to be compared to that. The other uh, facet of the attack is that God is not who he says he is. That the scriptures are, are not accurate, that we cannot trust in them, and that we, uh, God is really not who he says. In fact, he's not even there. And that the, the truth of God is relative. And it's not something we can trust in. And so the attack is for your heart. Because... Um, if you can reject either of those two things, those, uh, those bits of thankfulness, you will fall out of the narrative. We need to be biblically literate, men and women. This is a call for us to be students of the word. Um, in a blog post for Christianity Today, Ed Stetzer labeled such literacy as an epidemic and noted that only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. 45% of those that regularly attend church regularly read the Bible more than once a week. More than 40% of the people attending read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month, while almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible. Oh, shameful. How shameful. How are we going to know the narrative of God if we don't read the word? This is a call for all of us, brothers and sisters, to not just, you know, bashfully say, I don't read much. I ought to read more. Oh, we need to desperately cling to the word of God 
so that we are part of that narrative and so that when these things come and, and, and they shake us uh, uh, from uh, the very, in the very foundations that we can look back into the word of God and say he is faithful that his love and mercy endures forever. We need to get back into the word. We need to become students of the word. We need to memorize the word. Uh, Brother Devin sent out a, a, a little video clip of a, of a man who was teaching, I can't remember what country it was, but it was in a country where they would have repression, and it wasn't certain that they would be able to always have freedom of the word. And uh, as he's handing out Bibles to, so, uh, to the people, the students, uh, the one person hands their Bible to somebody else, and, and he kind of thinks, oh, well, you're not going to read the, the scripture? And he says, oh, no, no, that's okay, I already know it. They've memorized the scripture. How many of us have memorized the scripture? I couldn't even memorize last week's scripture. Two verses. That's shameful, men and women. Shameful on us if we are not students of the word. I read this scripture at the beginning when we were talking about Thanksgiving. I'll read it now in conclusion. Philippians 4 6 and also number 7. Be careful for nothing. Don't be worried about anything. For in, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. In everything, always have this understanding, this greater uh, awareness of the narrative that we live in, that God has given us through the word. With that thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.